Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? Because of course I'm an overachiever. I was like, here are the talking points. But then here's a script, almost like Mad Libs, where you just need to <laughs> fill in like the noun and the adjective here. And like, I've given you the rest. Welcome to the Curious Fox podcast for those challenging the status quo in love, sex and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about codependent relationships. I feel like codependent is one of those words like trigger or trauma that we have appropriated from psychology Mm -hmm. and have introduced like diluted versions of those words into our everyday conversation. For sure. Like I completely on, on, you know, walks can hear like people talking and saying like, oh, that conversation was so triggering Mm -hmm. or that date was so awful. I'm traumatized. Or she's so clingy and codependent. Mm. I feel like we we just taken these words and we're like, now it means these things. Totally. I think there's like a pros and cons in that, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I do like the fact that it is now a part of our sort of general understanding that there is such a thing as trauma. There is mm-hmm. such a thing as um, relationship dynamics. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that it is acknowledged, but at the same time, I definitely think that it's getting diluted because mm-hmm. like that we don't make a distinction between like a big T trauma versus you know, mm-hmm. a little T trauma or what actually trauma is, what harm is. And we talked about this kind of stuff. It's just, it's, it's being diluted. So I, I see like both pros and cons actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say, I know that codependent is not clingy because I know clingy (laughs) because I am an octopus person and Mm. octopus people know clingy. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think I am an octopus turtle hybrid. Mm -hmm. I think that I can switch like depending on the person or the situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's actually kind of common. I think once you are swimming in the waters of an insecure attachment dynamic being played out I've actually really moved away from labeling people as one or the other but starting to to really examine the situation where people are showing up in a certain way rather than someone is clingy or someone is an octopus and more like Mm. oh in this situation that's how people are showing up Mm -hmm. and I see that once you're swimming in the insecure attachment dynamics waters Mm -hmm. um, I feel like depending on the situation people tend to go from (laughs) one to the other depending on what they're mirroring you know what they're responding to it's true I like that I like the analogy of once we're swimming in the insecure attachment waters (laughs) yeah yeah for those of you who don't know what we're talking about and have not heard us talk about octopuses and turtles it is a it's a theory coined by therapist Hetty Shelfer, and mm-hmm. uh, it illustrates the relationship pattern where one person prefers to talk about all their feelings right there and then until the wee hours of the night, fluctuating between wanting to yell and wanting to cuddle. And mm-hmm. the other partner would love nothing more than to remove themselves from the argument physically, emotionally, all of the above, never to revisit the conflict again. Yes, exactly. And it's very common. And 
the irony has it that these people tend to hang out together. (laughs) (laughs) So octopuses and turtles um, somehow, as if by magic, though we know it's not magic, Mm -hmm. they hang out together, which um, Mm -hmm. causes tension because they have opposite reactions in the moment Mm -hmm. where they really need similar reactions. And they Mm -hmm. tend to end up in partnerships a lot. Mm -hmm. I see it a lot. And I would say 95% of my practice. And that's 95% of my arguments. (laughs) 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 Sounds exactly like that. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. No, my partner and I just had an argument mm-hmm. where honestly it didn't even start off as an argument, but mm-hmm. then we like adorned our like octopus and turtle persona, which is like our version of insecure attachment superhero costumes. Mm-hmm. And then we went from what was like an uncomfortable moment to an argument to like a cold war where she had nothing to say and I was full of things to say. (laughs) (laughs) How funny how that works out. And there we were. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. She pulled away and went into her shell and I reached out for connection and dialogue with like all of my octopus limbs. And when I couldn't get that, then I morphed into a turtle and pulled away. And then we were just like two turtles pretending not to care, but actually deeply Mm -hmm. caring. And we both knew what was wrong. And a big piece of it is when we get into conflict, she shuts down emotionally She often physically disappears and she doesn't know what to say or how to resolve the situation. And as someone whose every day is filled with talking and solving problems, that stance bewilders me and infuriates me. Like someone saying to me, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Like just does like in my mind, that doesn't make sense. Cause I'm like, I've already mapped out four different conversation paths and like eight different possibilities and scenarios Mm. and plans. And so anytime she says, I don't know what to say, it just makes me want to burn everything to the ground. Mm. But this is what I did differently this time, because after years of being in the pattern with my partner, again, not just here, but something Mm -hmm. that's happened (laughs) many, many times, something finally occurred to me. Maybe she doesn't actually know what to say. (laughs) (laughs) She actually literally doesn't know what we're saying. She doesn't know what to say. And so I did what I do best. I thought and I wrote and then I came up with a plan and I reached out to her and I explained. I said, when she goes silent in a hard conversation, that is as painful to me as when I follow her around from room to room, (laughs) asking her questions and demanding that she stays engaged in the argument. Like as much as that feels genuinely triggering to her based on how she grew up and Mm. like, and shuts her down, her absence and her pulling away from me emotionally makes me feel again, triggered because Mm -hmm. of how I grew up and and emotionally shut down. And then we both just act in like super dramatic ways. Mm -hmm. And so I committed to chilling out (laughs) Mm -hmm. and giving her space and, and I asked her to commit to not shutting down and to acknowledging my hurt. And whenever she says, you know, I don't know what to say, I was like, okay, here, here are three tips so that you could know what to say. <laughs> Here's a script. Yes. I like wrote them in Slack. I was like, whenever you feel yourself about to be like, I don't know what to say, like, just go back. Here's what I need you to say. Number one, reflect back my words. Just reaffirm what I am saying to show that you're listening, right? Like what I hear you saying is what it sounds like you need is Mm -hmm. you don't even need to like, I'm not even asking for you to share yet. Just like regurgitate what I have said, just Mm -hmm. so I know you're like, they're not a shell of a person. 
Then second is to commit to me when we can revisit the conversation and when Mm -hmm. you will share your feelings and needs, because that is often the case too, where she'll be like, we'll talk about it at some point, but some point never comes. And then I have to be the one like a week later be like, so... Mm-hmm. And so I was like, can, if you say, all right, listen, give me a week, like next week after dinner, we'll take a walk, whatever it is, like give me a time and then I'll chill out. And then just ask me, okay, are you good? Like, do we need, is there anything that you need between now and a week from now so that we are not in cold war place? And I'd be like, all right, well, I need a hug or I need to go go for a run or whatever. And then, and then we'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And then of course, because I was all jacked up on like, argument and insight adrenaline. I like wrote my experience down as fast as I as, as possible, <laughs> including the actual script that we came up with. Nice. Where I was like, really, not only because of course I'm an overachiever. I was like, here are the talking points, but then here's a script, almost like Mad Libs, where you just need to <laughs> fill in like the noun and the adjective here. And like, I've given you the rest, but I wrote that all down and put that on our blog page on our website. So love it. So what there, a resource. Hot, hot off the presses. Yes. Yes. No, absolutely. <laughs> and I know for a fact that there are so many people having exactly that experience over and over again <laughs> in masses. And what an amazing resource. If you are a turtle, jump on that blog, get your script, print it out, put it in your wallet for emergencies, <laughs> put it in your coffee table, put one on the fridge, one, one, one on the coffee table as a, as a cheat sheet, have it around for sure. Um, and I think those are amazing tips. Um, the things that I would add in there, so here's the interesting thing about that dynamic. What I, what I see a lot with the people that I work with is the turtle is essentially tends to be a conflict avoidant person, a person mm-hmm. whose ultimate aim of the game, especially in that moment, is to avoid conflict. And they tend to have a low tolerance for conflict. I think people like you and I, we actually have high tolerance to conflict, meaning we can bounce off ideas, we can get into it. It's like we don't need to sugarcoat things and it doesn't feel hurtful. Like our, our, our threshold, for our pain threshold for conflict is high. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like conflict until it's like nuclear warheads are being pulled out. You know, it just feels like an intellectual discussion and we're just like, mm-hmm. I don't know what the problem is. We're just having a conversation, right? That's kind of our experience. And then we're like, let's have more conversations, you know? So we tend to have a high tolerance to conflict and people who are turtles tend to have a low tolerance to conflict. So even a the tone of the voice going up like one octave is that what it is? Like gets mm-hmm. louder like one little bit and they're like, <gasps> conflict, you know? Or like a sharp intake is like, oh, there's conflict coming, right? So they have this become super sensitive and they have a super low tolerance to conflict. And in those moments, I think it is a, it's a fight, flight, freeze, fawn response. Mm-hmm. And mostly turtles tend to be flighty. They're kind of freezing and flighting, mostly. And I think in those situations, anything feels dangerous. Mm-hmm. I think any words feel dangerous. Like the, the reason they're saying, I don't know what to say is actually, actually they're saying like, I don't know what to say that feels safe. Mm-hmm. Like it just feels like this is going to explode in my face yeah. and whatever I say is going to make it explode. So like I am stuck, like it feels, yeah. it feels very trapped. They feel very trapped. They feel very like triggered into like, and I'm now in a, a minefield. You know, mm-hmm. if I move, if I move a toe, <laughs> I'm going to set something off. Right. Oh, Effie, it's so true. I feel so bad, yeah. but that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, un- I mean, it's, it's unfortunate. Like in those people, and for those people, and, and like you, I'm, I'm both, depending on the situation, depending on what I'm dealing mm-hmm. with, depending mm-hmm. on a topic, yes. certain conversations, yeah. I can have certain conversations all day long. Certain yeah. conversations, I'm like, shut down. Mm-hmm. You know, it really topic for me is topic based, it's person based, mm-hmm. how I feel based mm-hmm. in that day. So I think it's important to sort of notice that these dynamics are fluid. 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and be kind of checking in with yourself. And I think just realizing like, it's about feeling safe for turtles in those situations. And I think similarly with asking for when, actually, it's actually further clinging, right? You're just like essentially kicking the clinging can down the, down the road. It's true. And, and you're still kind of like, when like, I want commitment, right? I want connect. You're kind of trying to preserve connection in the future, right? right. You're like, mm-hmm. I need connection right now. If I can't have it, I want guarantee of connection in the future. So I want to know when, <laughs> <laughs> right? True. So you're just like expanding, like you're just like stretching that limb as far as it'll go and clinging into the future. Yeah. And then again, it's a, it's a safety thing because yeah. in that time, in that moment, what you need to feel safe, that the relationship is going to be dead down the line, that's, not going to explode it's not going to implode mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff again it's a safety thing this is actually a really good place to like re-emphasize this is why the regular check-ins relationship check-ins are really really important and useful weekly monthly bi-weekly whatever works for you having a date that's set that isn't necessarily about committing to something like knowing that there's a regular check-in that these things can be resolved there one allows the person the octopusy person to know like it's going to be sorted. So they don't need this, like they don't have to like keep clinging. Like if not, if not now, then when, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that. It's still, it's still triggering to the other person and to the turtle knowing that, okay, that day is set. So I need, I have a time to prepare. Right. Right. So they're like, okay, like first Sunday of every month, this is going to happen whether I like it or not. So <laughs> like I can sit through and be really uncomfortable or I can prepare like mentally, emotionally, mm-hmm. you know, have my script ready, my talking points ready. Mm-hmm. And like, know that for that hour, for that two hours, we're going to talk this stuff out. Yeah. And not, and not have it all be bad stuff too. Cause that sounds, I think everyone will be anxious. Like every two weeks, we're just going to hash everything <laughs> we dislike about each other. Mm. I think it's mm. just to your point, like, Hey, anything happened over the course of two weeks that like we should mm. talk through like anything that felt really good. Like it's like sure. celebrate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that was a little bit of a tangent, but that was, that happened to me. And then I wrote about it and you can go find it. It's called what to say when you don't know what to say. I've written you a script. You're welcome, turtles. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, but we got into this because I was saying that we have associated codependency as being clingy and codependency Mm -hmm. is, it's deeper, it's darker and Mm -hmm. it is more than simply just being clingy or attached to somebody else. I I mean, exactly. And I think the, uh, I think that distinction is what we want to talk about today um and like you said it's being co-opted as like oh so codependent and and not everyone's codependent codependency is uh, it's to do with attachment styles still but it's more chronic and it tends to have more addiction dynamics to it and enabling mm. dynamics to it so people in codependent relationships tend to enable each other often uh, maladaptive behaviors so it could be an actual addiction it could be like rage or addiction or bad behavior or uh, not being able to take care of themselves right becoming these hyper tuned caretakers so people don't get to take care of themselves or don't learn to take care of themselves so it has real kind of um, the two main elements I would say that really the highlight codependency is enabling behavior. So one person enabling the other person and the other, the other is in, a, in a kind of an addictive quality to it. Mm. In fact, it is in some circles being referred to as love or relationship addiction. Can you talk, and you may be going through this, but can you talk through mm-hmm. that more? Like what does enabling mean and look like? And what sure. does somebody who is has the kind of addictive 
personality, the the person who is not enabling? Like, what does that look like? Like, give, give us the the paint the picture. Yes, yes, yes. No, okay. So, um, codependency actually comes up a lot in actual addict addiction circles. So, the AA actually has a CODA, Codependence Anonymous. Um, there's Al-Anon for people who are loved ones of people with addictions. So, uh, a lot of this enabling behavior is most sort of e- most easily understood in addiction circles, right? So, you are in a situation, you're in a, a a loving, romantic, or any kind of relationship with somebody that could be your lover, your partner, could be a parent, could be a brother, sister, mm-hmm. where you are enabling the other person's bad behavior because it creates a need for you. Mm. You're not supporting them, but you're enabling them, right? You're 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 allow you're making excuses for them, even though you might be arguing on some level and fighting on several on some level. On another level, you are so enmeshed with them and you are so kind of enabling them their whatever their behavior is, um, so that it creates a um, a feedback loop of being needed. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's really what the sort of the codependency enable the enabling means. Yeah. So that's what's feeding you. So it's not necessarily just that you are supporting someone else because you love them so deeply and you're just afraid of them leaving. And so you mm-hmm. you give them permission to have bad behavior and you're mm-hmm. attached to them in that way. But also them and their bad behavior creates that cycle where then they need you. So you feel needed in the relationship and then, and you also don't want them to leave because that validates your role and the cycle continues. Exactly. Exactly. It's like very poor boundaries, very enmeshed. The individuals um, struggle to exist solo you know, or at least that they believe that they couldn't. Some some can't because people deep in addictions, it's difficult to maintain a healthy life and be able to take care of yourself and all that kind of stuff. But either for for real, or at least they have they believe that they can't exist solo. They can't take care of themselves and they can't survive on their own. Mm-hmm. And then the person who who wants to feel needed, it is a sense of assured connection. Right. So it's like the book 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, where the monster comes up and like this like giant octopusy monster that like <laughs> takes over everything. It's it's like that. So yeah, I mean it's it's very destructive. It's not good for anyone. So how do you tell? Because I imagine as a relationship coach, couple or triad or group sits in front of mm-hmm. you and you're like, Oh, I see what's happening mm-hmm. here. Like what signs come up that you recognize, like, oh, this is the dynamic that's going on. I think for me, the biggest sign that they're codependent is when they are so affected by each other that they're kind of um, enmeshed into into one being. So anything one does is deeply affected by the other and vice versa. And it is it's immediately triggers into a survival response, right? So mm. over time, codependent relationships become really, really controlling and it, it, they kind of escalate in, in ways. And because it's ultimately tied to dependency, and I do want to actually talk about dependency in a minute. And, and let's break that down. Like, what does it mean to be dependent? And also, by the way, codependency, I think, is a spectrum. Mm, it's, not like a, it's not like a switch. Mm-hmm. You're not like healthy, codependent. Mm-hmm. You're kind of somewhere on the spectrum of codependency. Like there is the very, very extreme ends, like two addicts that mm-hmm. are enabling each other and, on a, you know, in a very destructive course. Constantly bickering, but also can never be separated from each other. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. And really enabling terrible behavior for themselves in each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like one end. Um, I don't deal with 
that end of the spectrum because I'm not qualified to deal with that end of the spectrum. So I kind of, the people that I work with are on the same spectrum, but much on the lighter side, side of things. So it's like codependency light. Mm. <laughs> Diet codependency. <laughs> where the destructive behavior isn't so destructive that they're like, their lives are falling apart. Mm. You know, these people are holding jobs and it's just that they're in these cycles and they're trapped in, in cycles and they're bickering. Like you said, they're bickering a lot. They feel stuck. They are overly affected by one another. Mm. Uh, one's mood definitely believes into the other. They are constantly looking at how the other person is feeling in order to gauge themselves and how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And that any kind of disagreement, conflict, inconsistency immediately throws them into survival behavior. So like mm -hmm. fear of abandonment, fear of engulfment. Um, so that's kind of what I, what I see in, in one end. And they are not able to release out of that dynamic and feel safe they they still even though there's conflict and they can't resolve it they there's a part of them that still seeks safety in that relationship mm. and therefore they feel like they can't make autonomous decisions yeah so talk about that more because you, you said you were going to dig into dependency and dependency mm. actually i think is one of those words like traumatic or trigger or codependent mm. that we've incorporated into our everyday language but means mm. also something really different can you talk about what you mean by dependency in this situation Sure. So in the context of relationships with people, I think it's really important to remember that humans are born dependent, right? We are born dependent and we are born with no boundaries. We, are, we cannot survive for a long time. We can't feed ourselves. We can't explain what, what we need. We can't speak. We can't navigate. We can't walk. We can't talk for a long, 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 long time, right? For really like three years if not really, you're looking at 18 years apparently, but for the first three years, you really don't, can't explain yourself and, and you really need, you're depending on somebody to take care of you, to keep you alive, to help you make sense of the world, mm -hmm. heavily, heavily dependent. So we are born dependent and we heavily depend on somebody else for survival. We also have no boundaries, right? Somebody tells us when to eat, what to eat. They wash us, they clean us, they wipe our butt. We don't have physical mm -hmm. boundaries. We don't have emotional boundaries. So becoming independent and ideally interdependent because we are a community-based species. So we are pack animals, right? Mm. We talk about this a lot. So you, ideally you become independent on your way to being interdependent. So you become woven, you get woven into society and become a functioning, uh, contributing part of society that mm -hmm. could be anywhere from your micro community of family, bigger community of wherever you are, or sort of a bigger, bigger society. So you have to learn that. You have to become dependent, go through the phase of dependent, and then through the efforts of your parents or your caregivers, become independent, meaning autonomous, being able to take care of yourself, to into becoming interdependent, where you can depend and be dependable, mm. and that it is not a part of your identity, right? That it is you are an individual that is in an interdependent dynamic, is the ideal path right? Mm -hmm. Similarly with boundaries. You have no boundaries. That is how our species is organized. Then you have to learn boundaries. You have to figure out when it's okay to say no, when it's not a tantrum, right? No, mm -hmm. I don't want to eat my carrots versus <laughs> no, don't touch me like that, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, this is, this is a very nuanced skill that we have to learn and then be able to then translate it into adulthood and be able to tolerate things like talking about your boundaries and hearing boundaries, which can also feel like rejection, right? Mm -hmm. So it's so this idea of dependency is how we start our lives. 
And we have to learn to be independent towards interdependent, mm. right? And if we don't make that transition, that's when we get stuck as being codependent. Mm. If we don't make that transition from dependency to independency to interdependency, what can go wrong is you become codependent. That you can't individualize in a, in a way that you feel like you can stand on your own and become a contributing part of a bigger dynamic. Wow. Honestly, my... As you're saying all that, I just think about the enormous pressure that myself and other caregivers have in raising human people. <laughs> I was like, no pressure at all. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that makes sense then. So based on what you described, is it likely that somebody, because of the the dynamics and how they were raised, is more likely to be in a codependent relationship does that something that emerges as a result of the of the type of relationship that you're in so does one find themselves in a relationship and then they look back and they're like oh crap like what mm-hmm. happened here or somebody unconsciously seeking out that kind of dynamic tends to be uh, subconscious actually because how we are loved is how we love and we learn about relationship dynamics and we are supposed to wean off our dependency in our sort of family dynamics and when I say family I mean family in the broad sense of the word right so whatever your home situation looked like whoever your caregivers were I'm sort of calling family as a broad sort of micro community that you grew up you grew up in. So ideally we learn to be independent and then towards to interdependent with our family in our family homes. If something goes wrong, if a parent cannot will not be attuned to the child, if they can't take care of themselves, if they themselves in a codependent relationship with somebody else or they are in a codependent relationship with the child, right? Which is something that you see a lot a primary caregiver that really identifies with being a primary caregiver because they have a child and they prioritize the needs of that child over their own at all times to then ultimately become this like ultimate caretaker, Mm. right? So when we grew up in those situations, when a child, for example, needs to be more attuned to the parent than the parent to the child, right? then we are now starting to have this pattern in what we believe love and relationships looks like that is really all to do with caretaking and enabling. Mm -hmm. So once that is our understanding of love and relationships, that's kind of like the belief that we hold that as we look out into the world and we want to pair or go into whatever relationship that you want to, you're kind of holding onto that belief often subconsciously, then love looks like selfless caretaking or Mm. relationships means Mm -hmm. you enable the other person in whatever they want to do make sure they don't leave you Mm. right so that's kind of how it how it tends to play out if not addressed Mm. yeah that's interesting i mean i think about how many times i've heard folks say that they're staying together for the children Mm. and it can be really abusive relationships, terrible relationships, Mm. just incompatible relationships. And they stay together for the children. And really what you're role modeling then for your children is what unhealthy relationship looks like. And then they're going to seek out that pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, people who say they're staying in it for the children, I am not 100% convinced that they are. I actually think that in dynamics like that, there is codependency that's happening within the adults and the kids just provide a really good excuse, Mm. a really good solid reason, a socially acceptable reason to stay in a dysfunctioning relationship. So I think if people are you know, fully functioning, healthy, thriving individuals with healthy attachment systems and um, support network that allows them to 
be, you know, if they're interdependent into a support network, divorce or leaving or separating and managing the children between two households is, doesn't feel like such a huge disruption, mm. right? So people who say, oh, we're staying together for, for the kids. I actually think that the issue is way more deeper than that. I would say they were in that situation before the kids even came along. Yeah. And let me actually pause and just say, just clarify that more disruptive doesn't mean less painful. Having mm-hmm. been my ex-husband and I divorced when my daughter was around or separated when she was around two, she's 10 now. And our separation and our divorce is still an active part of all of our our lives. Mm-hmm. Like she has to switch back and forth from one home to the other every week. She would prefer that we were all in the same home and still mm-hmm. together. And so that, you know, that has brought her sadness and that's hardship for us in terms of co-parenting. So it doesn't mean, I just want to note, that doesn't mean less painful. It doesn't mean that mm-hmm. if you're the type of, type of, you know, family dynamic and you're like, well, we'll do, be divorced and everything will be fine. Everyone's going to be fine. Everything's going to be mm-hmm. great. It's going to hurt like hell. It's going to be hurt and it's going to be hard and all those things. What I hear you saying though is understanding that that is a healthier choice Mm -hmm. than staying within the same space and continuing to be a part of a a dynamic that's unhealthy. What does that look like then in non-monogamous relationships? Because in the healthiest of relationships, in the most Mm -hmm. secure of attachment styles, non-monogamy can be hard. Absolutely. I think... A word of warning about non-monogamy and codependency. One of the things that I see is that non-monogamy can sometimes be an enabled behavior. So actually, it's, you know, what happens is it's in a codependent relationship and one person is enabling the other person uh, to be non-monogamous. Right, mm. meaning they don't actually want it themselves, but they are agreeing to it. They're going along with it because the other person wants it. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's something that I really, really watch out for in my in my practice for sure. I always say reluctance is okay, but willingness is mandatory. Mm. It is okay that you are reluctant into this change and into this new way of relating. It's fine. Like, let's talk about it. Let's answer your questions. Let's give you all the information that you need. But willingness is mandatory. You need to want this. You need to at least want to explore. If you don't want it, if you're just going along because the other person is asking you, dragging you, pressuring you, manipulating you, begging you, you know, all the things, it's unlikely that it's going to work for you. And I find that when I see that most, the second behavior, the, the begging, the manipulating, the pressuring is in codependent relationships. Mm. That the other party is essentially enabling behavior. They're saying, yep, okay, sure. They're not happy with it. They're resentful about it, but they are going along with it. And I think that's something to be really, that's something to watch out for. So when you are thinking about non-monogamy, make sure that everybody wants it. So cut me into the future a year from now. Codependent couple decides to open up. Mm -hmm. One person is not into it, not willing, but says yes, because that's the relationship dynamic. And what does that then look like in practice? What happens six months from now, a year from now? Like how, what do their arguments revolve around? What does that sound like? What is each person feeling? Not a pretty sight is what I would say. Um, I think in any situation where, so we talked about boundaries and dependency together, right? The reason why I mentioned those things together is because boundaries are really also important. It's the absence of boundaries also make a codependent relationship. And the way to think about it is that when you, Compromise is okay, right? Compromise is a part of life and part of relationships. It's when you compromise beyond 
your boundaries, when you abandon yourself in an effort to compromise and meet the other person's needs, right? And that it is a chronic thing, right? So you abandon yourself, your needs, your your boundaries in order to meet the other person's needs and, and desires chronically. And that's one person doing that for the other, not yes. necessarily back and forth. Got it. Because I'm yes. trying to picture it. So one person is is releasing their boundaries in order to oblige the needs of the other. Yes, exactly. Um, and ultimately feel, and ultimately feel resentful or victimized and mm-hmm. or victimized, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of the, the formula that you're looking for. Someone can like negotiate and they'll be, they'll be negotiating within their boundaries and they feel okay about, you know, the other person doing whatever they want to do and it's okay. It's when you, you feel like there's a sense of like abandoning yourself mm-hmm to meet the needs and ultimately feeling resentful and victimized as a result. Yeah. And so project that into a six months, a year's time. What you have is one person feeling my guesses. And this is what often comes up feeling lonely, feeling like they were abandoned, which often we project that, right? They are either feeling extreme sense of like, I might get abandoned the next day. So they're really triggered, constantly fearing abandonment because ultimately they've abandoned themselves at some level. As a result of that, they are activated into a survival um, state. So mm-hmm. that is fight, flight, freeze, fawn, and the original survival instinct, which is to attach, right? Mm-hmm. We are born dependent, and the only thing that mm-hmm. we have available to ourselves for survival mm-hmm. is attachment. We attach to a caregiver, mm-hmm. right? So we don't talk about that enough. Our ultimate number one the original, the OG survival system is attachment. Mm-hmm. So when someone is hyperactivated, they feel like they're, you know, life is out of control. They are in a codependent relationship. They become more codependent, and that codependency can look like, you know, hypervigilance, controlling behavior, constantly looking at the other relationships rather than the relationship itself. So uh, a lot of control over metamors, how often people get to date, how they date. So that's the other person in the relationship. So the one person is letting go of their boundaries. The other one is being more controlling, a lot of oversight. Actually, I find that the person who lets go of their boundaries ultimately trips into, mm. because once they have, it trips them into an ultimate like existential survival um, fear, right? Mm. Because they've abandoned themselves. So as a result of that, they become more controlling. They're like, mm. okay, fine. You can be non-monogamous. You can date people, but I want to know who. I want to know what day. I want to know you have to be home by noon, like home by midnight. Or, you know, they sort of become over-controlling and they become nothing is good enough mm-hmm. you know very perfectionism kicks in so they kind of let go of their boundaries enable the other person they feel resentful and victimized and then they loop into this like well then i want you know they become controlling and also they start start having issues with trust like their rigidity around trust um, becomes a thing meaning it just trust becomes really fragile mm. right there's no room for ambiguity there's no room for oh human error oh there's a misunderstanding but like something very small becomes that you did this to me on purpose yes exactly mm-hmm. and that you 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 know you you're lying to me you're doing this to me on purpose so like yeah. the 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 buffer the flexibility that we need around trust because humans are flawed diminishes yeah. And I imagine then if that, if that makes the other person mad, frustrated, become a turtle, that then their extreme 20,000 leagues under the sea octopus comes out mm-hmm. and they're like, no, no, no. And then they move into fawning again. 
that makes sense. I mean, there, there are certainly people in my life who fit that dynamic. And I think for me, what I can, part of what I've been able to see is that they will be really vocal actually about feeling like a victim mm. and then certainly have an unwillingness to leave or do anything about it. So they'll say yes. like, they keep doing this. I can't believe it. It's so disrespectful. Like they're naming all the things. They never listen to me. They never this, they never that. And you're like, that doesn't sound healthy. Like, why don't mm. you, okay, well you should talk to them about that. Or maybe this is not the right relationship. They're like, well, you know, it is what it is. It's fine. I mean, that's just the way they are. It's going to be, you know, what else can you do? And you're so that I think as I was, as I'm listening to you, I'm kind of picking out some of some of the folks in my life who that I've heard had that kind of conversation with. Mm-hmm. Can you give a sense of so you you've kind of given the profile of of one person potentially in that dynamic. What does the other person's experience or behavior look like? With the people that I see, they actually are also triggered in some on some level. So they can be a turtle when they can become very aggressive, actually. They can become almost tantrum and also manipulative. Mm. As the person who has abandoned themselves, now feel victimized, becomes more controlling, more, you know, constantly disappointed and, you know, becomes litigious, uh, all those things in, in the relationship, they withdraw and become more secretive, um, become more um, non-committal, become more absent, uh, if not physically, emotionally, and intellectually. So they definitely fall, um, fall apart, but never, never to a point where they snap apart, right? Mm. And that's the thing. I always imagine it as this like ever-growing ball that wraps up around them, and you're not able to like detach from one another. So no one's, no one's really happy or thriving in any way, but everybody's in survival mode, Mm -hmm. which is not a good place to be. Uh, But there is no, I think that is exactly the distinction between a, you know, a relationship that's having a hard time versus a codependent relationship where there's no, where, where separating is not an an option. Mm -hmm. doesn't feel like an option. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And any idea of separating real separation, I don't mean this turtling, but like, actually let's just like separate for a while triggers both parties into an existential survival fear, Mm -hmm. like an impending sense of doom. So let's say you find yourself in one of these dynamics. You're listening, you realize that either you or someone that you care about is in a codependent relationship. What next? Mm. So first of all, if you actually catch yourself being in a codependent relationship or your therapist tells you or somebody tells you, you become aware, that is half of the effort actually to actually become aware of it Mm -hmm. and then I would say the next step which is hard is to accept it it's one of those things like it's very hard to accept that you're in a codependent relationship if you accept it then you have to challenge it and because it's so existential like codependency by design is so existential if you identify it you recognize it and you want to work with it you are now trying to fight against your survival instinct. So it's actually kind of a very scary place at the beginning. Those who come to an understanding of it and I can identify their patterns, they've done like, that's half of the battle. It's like the hardest part at the beginning. And then you kind of have to recognize you need support and that you need to create healthy space. Mm-hmm. And a really good way to, healthy, uh, to create healthy space is to expand your support network. Right. Mm-hmm. So most of the time people in a codependent relationship, they're kind of stuck as their source of 
support. And that's, and that's the only source of support that they can identify that feels satisfying. It is really to say, just like your finances, diversify your support network. That is friends, family, professionals, mentors, groups. So if you're really deep in in a codependent relationship, CODA, Codependence Anonymous, is a great free group support um, that you can go to. Set boundaries. Start by understanding the edges of yourself, what feels good to you and what, what doesn't feel good to you so that you can have a sense when you're abandoning yourself, right? A lot of the time, it's such an automatic response that we don't realize we're abandoning ourselves and we're overextending beyond our boundaries, beyond what feels good and comfortable until it's too late. Until we're like, oh, this feels so bad. I've been feeling so bad for such a long time. And then that's, that's when you run into resentment and uh, feeling like a victim. It's catching that early and knowing that your boundaries will give you guidance on what feels good. So you can, you can love and care from a place of safety and wholeness rather than loving and caring to feel safe and to feel whole. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Does that, does that make sense? That distinction yeah. is super important. Yeah. I imagine if you have heard the checklist of what to look for in a, in a codependent relationship and you, and you look at either option of either I'm, I'm the enabler or I'm, you know, the, the person who is potentially showing up with bad behavior or addiction, you don't want to choose to be either of those. So mm-hmm. you're listening and you're like, mm, why would I raise my hand and say, yes, me. And I think actually circling back to the beginning of our conversation where we were talking about the octopus and the turtle just recognizing that that is not a character flaw of who you are. You are repeating patterns and behaviors mm-hmm. that you learned before you even knew what you were learning, mm-hmm. that you are replicating a pattern that was demonstrated to you at some point in your, in your childhood and that you then have the opportunity to, to break that and to do something mm-hmm. differently. And you have the rest of your life to, to, find what healthy happiness and and thriving Mm. looks like for yourself. And so I just kind of wanted to name that because, you know, even as I think about myself and, you know, I joked in the beginning about being clingy or this or that, like, that's not something that I, even as I was writing that blog post, there was a few moments in parentheses where I was like, yeah, I know sexy, right? Like Mm -hmm. it, it is embarrassing to Mm -hmm. be like, yes, this is how I show up. This is how I Mm -hmm. show up in relationship. This is how I show up in conflict. And so I can appreciate what you're saying, that just admitting it, accepting it and saying, okay, I need to do something about it is more than half the battle. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think as you're figuring this out and you've got over the fact that, you know, that is how you show up. It's By the way, again, it's not who you are, it's what you do and you can do differently, mm-hmm. right? That is really important to sort of really anchor that idea. It's not who you are, it's what you do and you can do differently, and you can make different decisions. So we talked about setting boundaries, a lot of work towards valuing yourself beyond caretaking. And I find a good sort of a hack because these things sound so, we make them sound so simple, um, but they're definitely not easy. Um, somebody who struggles with self-esteem or has self, low self-worth, it's very difficult to sort of suddenly have self-worth, right? It's not like if you could, you would, you obviously can't. So that's why you're struggling to tell people like, have some self-esteem is like not helpful. You're not, you're not being helpful. <laughs> some of the t- tips that I have given to people that really work actually, especially if you're on the caretaker side, if you have an, if you're a natural caretaker and you tend to overextend yourself, volunteering in a structured 
um, situation is really helpful. So volunteering with a, uh, like an organization that have natural boundaries built in, natural code of conduct built in is actually a really good way to both start to gain meaning out of life that isn't your relationship, feeling that you can be a caregiver and have that experience still, and then learn about boundaries through an organized structure to like, oh, you can be a caretaker and have boundaries and still do good. Mm -hmm. So I actually find people who are struggling with that volunteering to be a really, really good middle. I mean, of course, if you want to volunteer, great. It's such a great thing to do. But just as like, oh, as I'm weaning off this, as I'm healing, here's something that you can do to really help you along the way. It's something that I would really recommend to people. Yeah. And then I think with all of these things, right? Many of the things that we talk about, particularly on this podcast, getting support, getting mm-hmm. a coach, getting a therapist, finding mm-hmm. community, feeling like you're not alone. To your point, there's so many resources and, and groups and, and individuals who can support with these things. So it just, you're not alone, right? Mm-hmm. We are all like, to your point, there's a spectrum and all of us who don't have secure attachment are struggling with something that we are working on our using our adult brains to heal some of our childhood hearts. I mean, I, I appreciate you talking through it because certainly, I mean, you know, I, I studied social work many, many years ago. And so I had a framework for these, this, and again, I think it's joined in our, like our lexicon of phrases that we utilize to describe folks, but it, it is important, I think, to really understand what that looks like and what that means to be in that kind of relationship. Yeah, absolutely. The the last image that I want to kind of as as we wrap up, the last image that I want to leave people with is to to think about relationships. A codependent relationship, it's like an old-fashioned engine with these gears, right? You see it now in old movies or like steampunk. You know, these like old gears that fit right into each other and as they turn, one turns the other and it's, it's this situation where it's kind of rigid and um, it requires each gear to be, con- you know, turning at a very specific way to make the whole thing run. To me, that feels like a codependent relationship because it's so rigid and it requires, you know, all the gears to be turning. And the problem with something like that is it takes a hairpin for it to just fall apart. One of those engines, you throw something, you know, in there and it disrupts the whole system and it breaks down. And when you want to do something like non-monogamy, if you're coming out of a codependent situation, uh, try to, or within a codependent situation, you're trying to open up it's an, you know, not a hairpin, but an anvil being thrown mm-hmm. into the machine, you know, and it's it's mm-hmm. going to explode. Ideally, what we want is instead of this like uh, steampunk uh, geared engine is um, I think of it as more like a river. As the river is flowing, you throw in a rock, a boulder, a car. It finds its way to go over, under, around to, to, to continue to feed towards one direction, right? So kind of, I imagine it as like two rivers that meet and then go out onto, a, onto the ocean through a delta because they find their way through obstacles, through conflict, whereas something like a codependent relationship, it just doesn't take much for it to be fully disrupted. Mm. I love the image of a river. Yeah, I love it. A beautiful way to kind of end us in that picture. Something mm. from <laughs> the disruptiveness, which also feels that like industrial mechanicalness feels I'm like picturing grimy and dirty versus mm. like the like beauty of like an expansiveness of nature and the river. May we mm. all be the river. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> so if you have been enjoying this podcast, then you know what I'm going to ask. 
I'm going to say right now in this moment, if you haven't, please click to stay connected with us. If you are on Apple, you can subscribe. If you are on Spotify or Stitcher, then you can follow. And while you're doing that, rate the show. Just put those little stars there. Just click on it. Leave us a review, a a thumbs up emoji. This is great. Something that lets the podcast and algorithm gods know that you are listening and that you like this show because those numbers really do make a difference. And if you are interested in being on the show yourself, if you want to hear your own voice one day, then you should record a question and send it to us and we can play it on the air and then even answer that question. And you can send us a question by emailing us or sending us a voice memo at listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com or you can call us on our podcast hotline at 201-870-0063. You can also engage with us on Instagram and on Facebook at We Are Curious Foxes and find us on Patreon where you can become a patron member, not only to support this work, support the community, support everything that we're trying to do to change the noise and challenge the status quo, but in appreciation for your support, you get extras, you get podcast extras, you get exclusive content that we create just for Patreon, you get some behind the scenes things, you get an opportunity to ask our podcast guest questions, you get access to monthly Ask Me Anythings with Effie Blue, and so much more. This episode is produced and edited by Nina Pollock, who we have a deep and healthy attachment to. Our intro music is composed by Dave Saha. We are so grateful for their work. And we're grateful to you for listening. As always, stay curious, friends. Curious Fox podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious.